Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we're lucky to have Brittany Lynch in the studio. Brittany's recently relocated to Colorado. She works at Clanton and Associates and is a senior lighting designer. Originally from Montana, she's been out on the East Coast at Lamb Partners. We're going to catch up with her today, a little bit about what it's like to be a mom in lighting, what it's like to be a mom as a working professional, and what the last year has taught us about a lot of that stuff. Brittany, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Seriously. Of course. It's great to have you here on this wintry day here in Colorado. Finally. It's been so warm. In case anybody's wondering what winter in Colorado is like, well, it's anytime it gets below 32 degrees. If you're up in Canada, eh? I know that's still very warm, and we're praying for you (laughs) that it will be warm again there soon. Brittany, you know, we've got the chance to catch up a little bit today, but tell everybody else who's listening, who's Brittany, and how did you get your start in lighting? I wanted to be an architect when I was 12. It was Frank Lloyd Wright's fault, really. So I found myself going to architecture school, concentrating, loving it, loving design, the environment. This is what I'm going to do. I'm totally an architect. And then I graduated in 2009, and nobody was hiring architects. Ooh, yeah, 2009 was a bad year to try and get into design. Oh, my gosh. Well, what made me so mad is people who graduated in 2008, like, happily had jobs as they walked out, you know, off the stage, and then... They didn't have them in 2009. (laughs) No. And so I found myself just, like, reassessing what I was going to do because I went to private college, super expensive. And, you know, I did have scholarships, but still, I was going to be paying out student loans. What was I going to do with my life? So I decided to go back home to Montana, uh, work for my mom as a receptionist. And eventually, this job came up as energy analyst at this local nonprofit. And I thought, well, okay, I have an architecture degree. I can do this. And so I started working there, and it became energy-focused on lighting retrofits. And I found myself going to these buildings trying to figure out which lights to swap out. And that's kind of where it all started. That's where it all started. Today you're doing a little bit more than uh, swapping out lights. How would you get into lighting design specifically? Like I said, I was an energy analyst. I found myself, I kind of taught myself actually. I want to share this story. So working in Montana, there was only one or two other people who were lighting certified. And it was an exam that was offered once a year. And my boss at the time said, I think you could do this. And I was like, okay. So I basically read the 10th edition handbook. and So that was like only 900 pages. (laughs) Yeah, no big deal. And I had to convince my OBGYN to let me fly at 36 weeks pregnant because there was only one location that I could take the test, which would be in Seattle. Wow. And he was like, sure, you know, you're looking okay. You can do this. So, you know, I got on a plane and then took the exam and came back and then. And you didn't have your baby till you got back. (laughs) No, no. But you know, what's so ridiculous is I'm literally in the delivery room and my doctor walks in. I'm like, guess what? And he's like, you're having a baby. I'm like, no, I passed my LC exam. (laughs) (laughs) So 
So this is how committed I am to lighting, my friends. I was um, going to say, to say Brittany's passion about lighting is, is probably an understatement. Was your kid's first word light bulb? No. No, it was mama, of course. Of course. Yeah. But then moving on from there, I got hired in the applications department at Rap Lighting, really getting into doing a lot of AGI calculations, learning more about exterior lighting. And then I found myself really wanting to get into design. And that's how I was hired at LAM. And that's kind of really where my passion ignited for creating beautiful visual spaces. Creating beautiful visual spaces is definitely a big part of lighting design. But part of lighting design is everything we don't talk about, that career aspect of it and how when you leave it, you got to go home. You got a family and you got kids to take care of at the end of the day. And I'm sure they would love to talk about lighting, but there's other things to talk about too. Talk to me a little bit about how you love all of these things. I can't segment in my head in buckets of career, mom, wife. It all is like this one big spaghetti noodle plate of things intertwined. So a thought doesn't pop into my head when I'm at work, you know, about just work. You have an opportunity to intertwine all of these things. Mm -hmm. You have your kids, you have your family, and you have your job. You love all of it. But in your professional career, you've got to learn how to balance all of that. What's it been like to let that bowl of spaghetti grow over the Mm. years? And and how have you tackled being able to balance it in the way that you want to? This work culture that we are brought up in is an autonomous kind of environment. How do I balance? How do I make my, you know, family happy? How do I make my work happy? Um, How do you make yourself happy? How do I make myself happy? It's very autonomous and it's kind of one of my biggest criticism of the culture that we have in the U.S. because it leads to a lot of self-blaming and what did I do wrong because I'm not happy. So let's, you know, take that, put that aside. So I was at a point, if I can, can I share a little story? Of course is you that can. okay? All right. This is the definition of story. Oh, but it's a very personal but important story to share. So I... Working at Lamb Partners, being in the design industry creates a very, gosh, a high mark of expectation. And that also has to do with kind of, you know, the architecture culture of, you know, let's make something beautiful, star architect, that kind of thing. It's just, it's kind of all ingrained in there. And so I found myself, and now you know my story about how excited I am in lighting, trying to, you know, tell my OBGYN in the delivery room, you know, what? past my exam. I am very committed to this job and I love my profession. But what was happening is it just was building and building. And after I had my second child, it was like, boom, things just went wrong. She is the best. She is probably the easiest baby. But it was so much having, you know, a four-year-old and a newborn and then this very demanding job. And on top of that, she did not sleep. And I'm not talking about like once a week. I'm talking about every night. So we've got like a good seven or eight months into not sleeping. And then I was having personal problems too with family at that point, which was just overwhelming. And so I found myself every day just like barely hanging on. And, you know, I just was quiet. I didn't say anything. I didn't feel comfortable sharing. And I was like, because it's all about me and how am I going to help myself? I can't go to my employer about this. Yes, I can go to my husband and, you know, we can try to figure things out. I can see a therapist who tells me 
you are doing way too much and that's not helping because I have to keep this going. You felt a lot of pressure to continue to do everything that you were doing. You didn't feel like there was any ripcord to pull. And if it was, it was out of reach or you didn't feel comfortable because of how people might judge you. Yes. So I was quiet. So what did you do? I didn't do anything. And that's the worst part, right? And it wasn't until... So ILD 2018, two of who are now principals of Flam Partners went to the Why Women Leave Lighting Design. And it was a presentation put on by Emily Klingensmith and Lisa Reed. And they put together a huge, I don't know if you saw it. No, I didn't. Oh, my goodness. It's still up. It's a slideshow. So what they wanted to find out is why women were leaving the industry because they couldn't retain this talent, these minds. And a lot of it came down to having young children. If you look at the survey results, I think it was like over 50. Per- so they, they broke out the women who did leave the design industry. Mm-hmm. And over 50, 60 percent of those people, of those women, had children under six. And they left. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, that was so crazy. Because uh, you felt like that was you. Uh, yes. You were like, I, I can't do this. It was, I think they had two kids under age of six, which was me. But anyway, so that, so I didn't get to go to that ILD, probably because I was busy with my kids. And so these two, you know, principal partners come back and they're like, hey, Brittany, we want to know, you know, what's it like to be a mom? And I was like, hmm, well, let me tell you. <laughs> Did you ask them to clear their schedule for a week? <laughs> say, let me show you Uh, because it's hard to explain. Yeah. It was two years after the birth of my second that this happened. So I had been quiet for two years, suffering in silence. And I said, screw it. It's time for me to tell my story because it was so hard. I don't know how anybody else could try to do that alone again. And I don't want anyone to ever go through that because it was terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went, had a, wrote a huge email, had a great follow-up conversation. And my bosses were like, you what? You were, you, we didn't even know. You were just there sitting doing your work the whole time. They had no idea mm-hmm. of the internal problems I was having. And they wanted to support me. And, you know, that was a great start of getting more support in the work environment. I can't relate, but I can understand what you went through. And I can understand how it was tough to feel like you had a place. And I think it's awesome. This presentation gave you an opportunity to maybe think about how you could do that. Women advocating for women is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And you being here today is doing that in and of itself. And I appreciate that. And I know so many others do too. This is a fragile system, as you kind of once told me here. There's so much pressure around everything. There is a balance, but is it really a balance or is it just holding on? It's holding on. And I felt that fragility as soon as my first was born. I was like, oh my gosh, why is this happening? I felt like at any moment, everything could just totally go wrong because I am so committed to my work and I really want to be there and I want to be a contributing part of this field. But it felt like a choice every day. And maybe that is self-inflicted. Maybe that's culture of our autonomous, you know, what I call the ideal worker you know, making sure that you're tethered to your desk. But the problem is you're tethered to your desk in your childbearing years. And so you can't seem to progress forward if you, you know, are being torn and split into two different directions. I want to I want to dive into that. Being tied to your desk during your childbearing years is something that you know exactly what you're saying. What does it mean to be tied to your desk when you're not bearing a child versus when you are? 
Mm. I remember those days. They were so long ago. <laughs> I mean, you're just working all the time. Like you said, you know, you're showing up, you're yeah. doing your job, yeah. but all of a sudden this big responsibility in your life shows up mm -hmm. and you're feeling torn, but you're, you're tied up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what did you say in that email to your bosses? What did you help people understand that allowed them to start to see into Brittany's life that said, this is what it's like when you have kids. First of all, I should be respected for who I am and what I'm doing. But mm -hmm. second of all, I need the freedom and the time to go home and do all of these things. Yeah. I think they had not ever known that it is that plate of noodles, right? So I was like, guys, you know, when I'm sitting here, working, you know, I've had probably a combination of 15 hours of sleep in the past seven days. Like I cannot be a human in reason, but I'm going to try as hard as I can. And it's not in silos. And I think it was just bringing that awareness to the management team that home life is not going to be separate than work life. Being a parent is an identity, I guess I could say. I mean, and being a parent is a full-time job. There was a great commercial by Hallmark. I remember bawling when I saw this. It was like seven years ago. And it was like, you know, hey, would you like a job? Would you like a job that has no time off? Would you like a job that, you know, when other people are sick, even if you're sick, you still have to come to work. Would you like a job that does all this, that actually the busiest days of the year are the holidays of the year? Would you like a job mm. that does all this and also doesn't pay you anything? And then it said, happy Mother's Day. Go hug your mom. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's a full-time full job, and it's two full-time jobs if you're fully employed. You have to find this balance. You have to find a way to say, hey, I've been a working professional and I didn't have kids, but now I do have kids and mm -hmm. this is a full-time job of mine. There's a critical time around being a mother, bearing that child, giving birth, then dealing with them not sleeping for seven months. Actually 14. 14 months. <laughs> but you're still here mm -hmm. and your kids aren't doing that every night at four and eight, right? They're sleeping at, at some point in time here mm -hmm. and you're still in the industry. What empowered you to get through this? grit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Talk to me about that grit and how hard it was to find that and where it came from. Maybe it was because we had to start pulling all-nighters in architectural school, finding out what you're made of, what needs to get done, and then you push through. But, you know, with this past year, I don't know if grit is enough to get me through it sometimes. When you think about what the industry puts up against you and how there is so much pressure to meet deadlines and all-nighters, I mean, you keep coming back to that I thing, right? Like it's, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you can't do it all. Right. So Brittany, talk to me just a little bit more about that pressure to always do everything and, and how you were able to utilize after two years of sitting there and then feeling empowered to say what you needed to say and then having some success with it, how that's come to light and, and how other people may be able to use that as an opportunity to combat a similar feeling they're having right now. It took bravery and support. And having that somebody came up and asked me was amazing, but that's not going to happen to everybody. And I think everybody, you know, working moms need to know how valued they are. Maybe we know now more, but they have so much value. And like the industry is literally trying to do studies as to why women are leaving the industry because we need everyone's brains we need their talent and so i think the first thing is like working moms need to know how much 
value they have in their firm, if, even though if they feel like they're not doing you know, the work they were doing before they had kids. I think that's very the top thing to realize. You are worthy, you are valuable, you are wanted. And what you're doing in raising children is the most amazing thing. And you are even more respected for that to create, you know, a new society in the future that, you know, you love and care for. I think that's a great place to start. And when it comes to being valued, what's the best way that somebody can seek out an opportunity to have that conversation that you were asked about, but they may not get the chance to. Yeah, so you have to go from a place of knowing your value and your worth and walking up to the office and knowing that. Have the conversation about struggles you have being a working mom, maybe at that specific job that you're doing. This can be blanket, you, you know, apply across all fields, is that you'd be surprised, really, by the positive feedback you get. It's not that story you're telling yourself in your head. You work there, you know, you're valuable. So I think I was just so scared that I wasn't, right? Because nobody was telling me that I was, which, you know, as women, we need to know. We need to have the words of affirmation. You need to, you need affirmation. You need to be told that you're valued. You mm -hmm. knew you were valued. And you said something awesome. When you had the conversation, they were nothing but grateful. Mm-hmm. What was it like to have that fall off your shoulders and recognize firsthand that by you telling them it was the first time they had known? Was that surprising to you? Oh, my gosh, yes. And maybe different people show their emotions in a different way. And so maybe that some of us do that. You know, we silently suffer. Whether you're doing that because you choose to or you feel like you're forced right. into it, we know one thing isn't right and is you shouldn't have to do that. Right. Because you should be valued for who you are and you should be valued for the time you can and cannot spend at your part-time job because your full-time job is being home and being a mom. I wanna take a quick break. And when we come back, let's dive into what you've continued to learn about that over the last year, how everything's kind of compounded on itself, but we could be breaking down to break through to create maybe a new normal or at least explore something that will give everybody a little bit more time and a little bit more sanity back in their day. Sound good? Hopefully. All right. <laughs> hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pond is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you things like this podcast in short, fun, and informative videos on YouTube on Instagram, really anywhere on social media. Check them out. That's lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Brittany and I got a chance to grab some water, catch our breath, and talk just a little bit more about COVID, the pandemic, and what the last year has taught us. That fragile ecosystem we were living in pretty much exploded, and the work-life balance disappeared because you were life you yeah. weren't at work but you were sitting at a desk and then 10 seconds later you turned around and you dealt with your kids Brittany I don't have kids but I know you do mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit more about how the pressure cooker kind of exploded if I could tell you I was living my worst nightmare would you believe me 
I've had some nightmares. I don't know what my worst one is, but I'm sure it's been tough. It's pretty ridiculous how I thought that would be the worst that I would ever have to go through. And after having the kids at home and, you know, me working at home at the same time, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but it was still pretty bad. And talk to me about what was bad. I mean, was it the fact that you weren't planned for it because nobody was or... Was it the lack of support that came funneling down from the, quote, normal life before that? Right. I also have to back up and say my husband's an architect, and he works at an architecture firm. So he's just right in there with the same pressures that we have. So both of us were just like throwing screens at the kids because all we could do was work to that next deadline. Like you cut the screens off the windows and threw at them? (laughs) I'm just kidding. You You gave them an iPad. Right, exactly. And we were just thinking how terrible we were as parents. We would be writing emails to the teachers saying like, I'm sorry our son didn't finish the assignments, you know, all nine of them that you assigned for the day. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous. You know, so... We felt like we were failing at both. Oh, man, my husband's work was really intense as well. And he had to perform and and nothing was moved. So really, it was very hard, to say the least. And it felt like we were crappy employees and crappy parents, crappy partners. Crap all around. (laughs) Right. I've got to imagine at some point in the last year, you both had to look at each other and you had to look at your employers and... I mean, you're sitting here, you're still alive. You've probably taken a step back in some sense. Where was the breaking point and where did you start to take those steps back? And are they still there or how are you dealing with all that? We did do reduced hours. It did not help us at all. I think if I could have gone to 10 or 15 hours, that would have been okay. But we stayed above 30 hours per week, both of us, to just try to be the employees that we could and just trying to swing it. So what we did is we said kids are going back into care. And we started that in September. We were lucky that the preschool was open and we had an ability to get our son into like an all-day school program that was affordable, which was a blessing. But we, we couldn't do it anymore. It was just ridiculous. So we had to, you know, I guess put everybody at risk by doing that. So far, none of us have gotten sick and it helped our brain so much more to have that system back. And what have you learned since, I mean, you took those reduced hours, you put a lot of pressure. Are you finding yourself that you're able to almost look at this last year and draw some conclusions about like how things might want to go forward for you? But also talk to me a little bit about the feedback that goes back to the employer and, and what they've learned. I really like Martha Stewart Living Magazine. And I was thumbing through the pages the other day and I saw this image of a laptop with like a toy and then like some CBD chews. And I was like, okay, what are we trying to promote here? That I have to go on drugs or well, CBD, whatever, in order to still work full time and, you know, parent my kids at home. Like I need some sort of medication or, you know, outside help. And like, I've, I feel like as a culture, we're trying so hard to match that 40-hour work week or maybe the current work demand as like parents are taking care of children at the same time. And, you know, what do you get? You get CBD juice from Martha Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the result. And I'm like, there's something wrong with this picture. I mean, to your point, you would go to work, your kids would go to daycare, they would go to school for the day, mm-hmm. and they were occupied. And 
you had to do it all. And for those, you know, who are fortunate enough to keep their jobs right now and have a full-time workload, it became impossible. Mm -hmm. So what do we learn from this? What do we take away? We know that doing two full-time jobs is impossible. But Brittany, we talked about this early on in the conversation. Being a mom is a full-time job. Right. And just because you drop them off at school, just because they're gone at daycare for six hours a day, doesn't mean your full-time job goes to a part-time job. How do we look at that moving forward and say, well, we're going to we're gonna deal two full-time jobs here. What's this taught us about flexibility? And where do you think it's been able to help you? And how can it help the design community as a whole? Well, let's take a step back and evaluate where did the 40-hour work week come from? Where did that start? And I can't tell you statistics, but I know that, you know, in the 1950s, the ideal worker, one working parent, dad mostly, mom at home doing everything. So fast forward 70 years later, why do we think that we can put that full workload on two parents and still like achieve that work-life balance? It doesn't add up. It doesn't algebraically doesn't make sense to me. And I think there's something wrong with that expectation. We just have been doing it for so long. Like this workload deadline driven industry. Why do we think that that's the way that we want our, you know, culture to exist? Well, I think inevitably when you talk about deadlines and design, we have to work toward the date because of as creatives, you'll just keep going. You'll never stop. So, right. right, there has to be an end point. But if it's algebraically, mathematically, quote unquote, impossible, because it's like, well, there's not enough time in the day to get everything done. That's something I'm sure most people listening to this podcast have said more often than not lately. How do we restructure so that we can still operate towards an end goal of, you know, a deadline to, to design and create a project, but make sure there's enough time in the day? I think that... Personally, I can tell you yesterday was President's Day. We had both kids at home, and it was pretty miserable because we were still working. So there needs to be a separation between probably giving your kids some sort of care or you are unhooked from your computer. I think putting the two together is what I've learned in the past year is it's a you know spontaneous combustion. It's just insane. So what does it teach us as you know, what does that mean in terms of the flexible environment? I don't know. I don't know. Do you think when you look at having to unhitch from your computer when you're at home gives you any sense or perspective in terms of going back to the office will be something that's helpful? But, you know, talk to me a little bit about that mm. versus the conveniences of not community and everything else and having more quality time with your family. Oh, right. Where do you see that balance landing? I'm just going to say it. We can't work 40 hours a week. I've been trying for so long now, and it's not gotten me anywhere, but just constant falling behind in some aspect of my life. So I can tell you, you know, for real, it's impossible. Is it because my goals are too high? I don't know. Maybe I need to reassess my goals (laughs) or no matter what, it's always too much. And I even, to tell you the truth, I tried to do a flex schedule where I would work half days on Fridays. So I would work my butt off, you know, Monday through Thursday, be exhausted. Friday, try to finish up whatever I could and then jump right into having quality time with my two and a half, three-year-old at the time. And it did not work. I was exhausted. And it was like, well, I'm supposed to be spending time with my daughter, but why do I feel like crap, you know? So that's why I say 
I mean, that's the scenario of working eight to 10 hours a day and then mm-hmm. trying to pack on three more hours of also high energy octane. What do you say to the idea of 40 hours as you wish over the course of seven days? I mean, no. is there <laughs> is there any opportunity in design or does design have to stay as focused work? We tried that. That's why I'm telling you no. Yeah. We both tried the weekends and we both knew that it was too much. Mm-hmm. You know, the times that I have worked on a Saturday have been I go into the office and work and like, I like my job. I have fun doing that, you know, but something sa- is sacrificed. You brought it all together right there. I mean, you like your job. You like what you do. You're passionate about lighting. You're passionate about design. So is your husband. You guys are also passionate about each other, about oneself as an individual and also as a family. And the bottom line is there's just not enough time of the day. So as we look forward, I think, you know, the world's taught us working too much will make us combust. Yet at the same time, design has an opportunity to evolve, to move past working a rigid 40-hour work week and looking at, you know, how do we sustain creativity? How do we sustain productivity? And how do we respect the needs and wants of what everybody has in their lives, which isn't just work? I have one last question for you, and then I promise I'll let you go. When you look to 2022, 2023 in the the years beyond, what is your wish for the design industry and how can we start to solve these problems? I think that having a structured 40-hour workweek requirement does not mean the most productive employee, the most productive designer. And I think we need to figure out a way. I don't know if we need to keep quantifying it, but the problem in our industry is we are fee-based hourly. So I think a lot of it stems to, well, what if we can move towards buying a service instead of buying labor hours? I think that might help. I think that's a really, really good idea. I mean, valuing people for the end result, not necessarily how long it takes. Yeah. And at Clinton, I know we tried it. That is something we're interested in. We've had that conversation. Pretty sure we had it at LAM too. It's been happening in the upper management, you know, but really... Oh gosh, how are you, how can you be creative when you're so pinned down by all these responsibilities and deadlines? I can't sit there at my desk unless I'm free and clear. Yeah, I mean ultimately I think what it all comes down to is you mentioned it early on, you know, you need to feel valued, valued as an individual and valued as a business. And when everybody can stand up for what's right, maybe we can restructure how fees are charged. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Brittany, awesome conversation. I'm sure we're going to have to continue this one. If anybody wants to get in touch with you or reach out, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? My email, Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y at ClintonAssociates.com. ClintonAssociates.com is also um, the website to go to to get my contact info. Awesome. Brittany, good luck in this year. I hope you can get a vaccine. I hope that we all get back to a, a good balanced life. And I wish you and your entire team at Clinton the best of luck as you continue to pioneer change. Thank you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Sam. See you.